Well, good morning, church. Oh, you knew better that. Good morning, church. Glad you were here this morning. Today, we are wrapping up our series called Fight Club. And if you've been here for a little while, hopefully you've caught this. If not, you can go back online on our Facebook page and watch that. But ultimately, the goal is we've encompassed singles and divorced and widows and widowers. The, the series, by and large, has been directed toward married couples. And we've called it Fight Club. And we said this out of the, out of the very beginning of the series was that in every marriage, in every relationship, you have a choice to make. Either you're going to fight in your marriage, or you're going to fight how? For your marriage. You've got to make a choice. Either you're going to fight in it, or you're going to fight for it. And what we've talked about over the last several weeks is, if you're going to fight for your marriage, here's what that means. It means elevating your responsibilities, not your rights. And so we spent a couple weeks talking about men, what are our responsibilities? Ladies, what are our wives, what are our responsibilities? And today we're going to say this, if you're going to fight for your marriage, not only you need to elevate your responsibilities, but you need to be able to handle something that every marriage goes through, every marriage wrestles with. There's something that you need to be able to handle in a godly kind of way. And that thing that every marriage struggles with, every relationship struggles with is this issue. It's the issue of conflict. Have you ever been in a relationship, friendship, or a marriage relationship where there's never been conflict? Anybody? Because you, you and I are probably not friends then, right? Because we've all experienced that, right? And if we're going to fight for our marriage or even fight for your relationships, not only do we need to elevate our responsibilities, but we need to understand how to deal with conflict from a biblical standpoint. I can just tell you, someone standing up here that has done this a long time, that conflict can destroy not only marriages, but it can destroy relationships because we don't seem to know, understand how to deal with them correctly. So I want to make some observations that I've experienced over the years of being in ministry and my own life. And I want to share those with you before we get into scripture. For example, one thing that I've kind of observed over the years, I've observed that there are different tendencies that people have when it comes to conflict. And there are different tactics that people use when conflict happens. And so this is a really good time to take notes because you're going to want to talk about this later with somebody because we all fit into this category. So let me talk about, first of all, two kind of tendencies that we have when conflict comes. In every situation, every relationship, or every marriage, there's always one person whose tendency is when conflict happens, they shut down and want to go walk away and think about it, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? And then the other person is the fix-it person. They're the ones when conflict happens, I want to address it, and I want to fix it when? Right now, right? So in my marriage, I am the fix-it person. I want to deal with it now. Sonia is, I need time or I'm going to punch you in the face. And so she's kind of the, I need some window of opportunity to think about it. I'm the fix-it person. Now, you can be both of those and to be healthy, but it can still be very unhealthy. Let me give an example. Early in our marriage, you know, we had to figure this out. I think we figured out maybe at least by yesterday or so, but we had to figure this thing out where that for the fix-it person, the problem was we would have conflict, and my fix-it was I'm, ch- I'm following her to the bathroom, I'm following her to the garage, I'm following her downstairs, and she's, I mean, like, she's beginning to fume, like, the blonde hair is beginning to turn red because she is, like, angry with me. And what I realized is that fixing it, in that moment, I'm really not going to fix it because all I'm doing is making her madder by the moment. But then she's the kind of person who needs time, right? She needs to think about it, process it, come up with a plan of attack of what she's going to do. But what she's learned from me is time can't be weeks. Time can't be months go by. I mean, we've got to have a kind of a window. So for me, one thing that she has learned is, okay, Doug, we've got some conflict going on. I need you to know something. 
I love you. We're going to be okay. But I really don't want to look at your face right now. And then she needs time. Now you just say, well, that's harsh. No, I love that. That's a face part. But I love it because what she's saying is she knows I have some insecurities. Is it okay to say I have some insecurities? I have some insecurities. We live in a world that is broken. And even when we have our greatest conflict, the enemy starts working. And I just need her to say, I love you and we're okay and going to be okay. But then again, she doesn't want to punch me in the face. And so I got to give her the time needed to think through those things. So all of you in a marriage have one of those tendencies. One of you are the I need time. And one of you are probably the I need to fix it right now person. But you've got to find a healthy balance in that. Now, that's our tendencies. Now, let me talk about the tactics. When conflict happens, you might want to write these down. Here's like seven or eight adjectives I wrote down. When conflict escalates, we use different tactics. One tactic some people use is they are the interrupter, right? They're the one who cuts into the conversation to plead their case. So when the conflict happens, they're the one that's always interrupting the other person to make sure they can be heard and they get their point across. Is there any interrupters in the room? Okay, all right. Thank you for not interrupting me while I was talking about it, right? So that's what you do. There's interrupters. And then there's people who are over-talkers. You know what an over-talker is? They just talk louder over the other person so that they're the ones that can be heard. Do I have any over-talkers in the room? Okay, yeah. You just, you just get, your volume just escalates. You're the over-talker when conflict happens. And then there's the counselors. Here's what I mean by counselors. They're people that in a quiet, still, calm voice, want to point out all the reasons why you're wrong, right? Listen, I love you, but you're dead wrong. I don't know what you were thinking. I don't know why you said that, but you, I'm just telling you, you're wrong. I don't know. I don't know all I know to say is you're wrong. That's any counselors in the room? Yeah, way too many of us, right? Okay, then you got people that are dictators. Here's a dictator. By golly, this is the way it's going to be. I know we've got conflict. I know you don't agree with me, but we're doing it my way. Any dictators in the room? Okay, they kill dictators, by the way. Anyway, that's beside the point. And then here's one. Some of you, maybe more than not, are, is the ignorer. They're people that just shut down. In fact, as I was thinking about this studying yesterday, I thought of a movie, Four Christmas, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies, with Vince Vaughn, and he's at his mother's house, and they're playing taboo with his soon-to-be wife, and playing with his mother and her husband, and his brother and her wife, his wife, and, and they're playing, and their connection is terrible on taboo. And so he's explaining to Reese Witherspoon how she's playing taboo wrong, how to play correctly, and it begins to escalate, and then he crosses his arms, and he just sits there, and she goes, what are you doing? And he goes, this is me just shutting down. Just shutting down. Some of you do that, don't you? You just shut down. Conflict happens, we shut down. And then there's another one. There's the, there's the plotters. This is where I struggle sometimes. The plotter. A plotter is someone, while the other person's talking, you're not interrupting them, but you're already thinking about what you're going to say. So you're paying no attention to what they're saying. You're already building your case as a lawyer of what you're going to say when they finally shut up. And here's exactly what I'm going to say, right? You're plotting your strategy even while they're talking. Their mouth is moving, but you're hearing nothing because you're plotting what you're going to say next, right? Any plotters in the room? Okay, some of you aren't raising your hand. We're going to figure out a minute. Then there's... The time traveler. You know what time traveler does, right? Conflict happens. We start going back to the past, right? Well, do you remember when you said this 27 years ago? Now, can we just say this honestly? That sometimes we do time traveling because it still hurts, doesn't it? 
Like, I, I hope it's okay to share this, but I remember when Sonia and I were first married. If it's not, you can just kind of do this to me, Sonia. We were first married. Um, my wife is a very passionate person, very kind and giving person. But I remember in our first year of marriage, uh, we had a lot of disagreements. Is it okay to say that? Our first year of marriage was the hardest year of marriage that we've gone through in 28 years. I don't know what it was, but it was a difficult year. And I remember one time she got mad at me, which happened often back then. She got mad at me, and she was crying about what I had done. And I said something I never should have said. I said, why do you always cry about things? Now, do you know years went by before I ever saw her cry again? Because what I said hurt that poorly. It hurt that badly for her. And so we know why we time travel, right? Because we can go back to past hurts and bring them into present hurts. And why do we do that? Just to hurt the other person. So how many of you are time travelers in the room? Okay, some of you are like, I don't want to admit that. right? But we are. We do that. And then here's the last person. Okay, and I hope none of you are this. It's the quitters in the room. I'm done. I'm just done. Now, I'm done in the argument's one thing, but I'm done in the argument can eventually turn to I'm done in the marriage, right? And so what I just want to say to you is as I've observed life over 49 years and as I've observed people's relationships and ministry over 31 years, here's what I notice that we have two tendencies that we, that we lean toward, the fixer and the I need time, and then we have things, that tactics that we use. But here's the result is despite what tactics you use or despite what tendencies you have, the ultimate end of all these things I mentioned, all of them are selfish at the core, aren't they? All of them are selfish. None of them are selfless and understanding. And here's what I want you to know. Please, if you write nothing else down, write this down today. Here's something we all need to know, okay? You are married. Your, your marriage is an unconditional commitment to a sinful person. Did you get that? Your marriage is an unconditional commitment that you have made to a sinful, broken person. And you need to be remembering that. And so if we're going to fight for our marriage, we have to understand, how do I biblically handle conflict? Because you've all got tendencies. You've all got tactics. And we've all got to remember that your spouse, as amazing as they are, they are still a broken and a sinful person. And there are going to be times they rub you the wrong way. There's going to be times of conflict. But what I believe, if we do it biblically, I believe conflict can strengthen our marriage, not destroy our marriage. So what is the biblical way to deal with conflict? If you have your Bibles, I want to turn. We're going to read one passage of Scripture today. It's in the book of James, James chapter 1. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the context of the verse that I'm going to use so you kind of understand it. James chapter 1, I'm going to read one verse. It's verse 19. You probably already know the verse. It's very popular, but I want to give you the context behind it. In James chapter 1, James begins to paint a picture of what a true believer's life should look like. So he talks about the trials that we go through. Then he talks about the temptations we go through. And then in verse 22, he says, I want you to be not only hearers of the word, I want you to be doers also. But then he backs up, and kind of before he gets to that, I want you to be doers, he tells us what being a doer looks like. He says, as a doer of the word, that means you need to protect your purity. You need to take the filthiness out of your life. The things that rob you of your spiritual and physical purity, you've got to eliminate those things. You've got to be a doer, not just a hearer. You can't just know you've got to get rid of that stuff. You've actually got to get rid of that stuff. But in verse 19, he tells us something about relationships, something about conflict, something that as we engage as true believers, things that we need to do if we're going to strengthen our relationships versus destroy our relationships. So if, let's say this morning you're not married, you're single. Listen, this is true whether, no matter what relationship you're in, but it's especially true as it comes to marriage. And so here's what James says in chapter 1, 
verse 19. Because remember, truth is truth. Amen? 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 Truth is truth. He says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's it. That's it. Three things, he says, if we're, as we live this in this world and we engage conflict and we engage relationships where things aren't going our way, here's three things I want you to do. So here's the first one. Write it down. He says, I want you to be quick to listen. Quick to listen. This word quick means it refers to an immediate reaction. So if I just took this water bottle and I just threw it to Tyler right there, what was Tyler's response? Some of you just woke up all of a sudden, right? What was his response? Not to throw it back. What was his response when I threw it right at his face? What was his response? Which I was a little low, by the way. What was his response? To catch it. That's what James is talking about. Be quick to listen. And your first initial response when conflict happens is, I'm going to listen. Your first response is listening. What is our first response when conflict happens? Come on. What's our response? Talking right? Speaking. Listen to what it says in Proverbs. This might be a little convicting for all of us in the room. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 2 says this, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinions. A fool. A fool doesn't want to listen. A fool just wants to talk. And see, for most of us, if you're like Doug, I don't only want the first word, I want the last word of the conversation, don't you? I want the first, if we're going to have conflict, I want the first words out of my mouth, and I want the last thing you hear to be what I have to say. And listen, he says, I want you to be quick. Your first reaction when conflict happens isn't talking, listening, right? Listening. Now, that word listen in the original language means this idea of taking kind of a, uh, it, it means to be extremely attentive or to be an extremely deep, careful listener. That's what it means. It means if you're going to listen, you're going to be extremely attentive to what the person is saying. So here's what it means. It means not just to hear what they're saying, but listen to what they're actually saying. Do you follow the difference between hearing and listening? If you do, say amen. So he's saying, listen, I want you to be quick to listen. Not just hear what your spouse is saying, but listen to what they're saying. For example, if you get into a moment of conflict and you look at your wife, husbands, and you say, are you okay? And she says she's fine, but her face is beat red and her veins are sticking out of her neck. Is she okay? No. no. Wives, if you look at your husband, you have conflict, and you say, are you, is there anything bothering you? And he says, nothing, and he's beaten up on an old vehicle outside. Is he okay? No. What we understand is that really listening to someone has more to do with, I mean, it has everything to do with their words, but also has everything to do with the tone of what they say and the body language in which they say it. See, listening goes way beyond me just hearing your words. Listening goes me putting my thoughts aside, my opinions aside, my, even my rightness aside in my own eyes and going, I need to hear what you have said. I want to listen to really what you're saying. And your tone and your body language and your attitude speak way more than the words that are exiting your mouth. He says, I want you to be quick to listen. Not speak, I want you to be quick to listen. Now think about this. How would listening to your spouse really impact your marriage? 
If you now I'm talking about if you really listen to them, if you really sit down, because like if you're like Doug, and I and I I don't want to confess too much, but I want to be honest, when we have conflict, I am so much a fix-it person. I've got three points in a poem ready to fix this bad boy right now. I mean, it's a preacher in me. I mean, I like ABC, here's how we fix it. But sometimes I wrestle with sitting down and putting my own self out of my way and listening to what Sonia is. I mean, like really listening to what she's saying. I remember when David was little. I was watching football one day. I love watching college football. David came around. He was probably four years old. Came in the living room. Said, Daddy, Daddy, he's trying to tell me something. And like anything else, I wasn't paying attention. I was watching football. And I thought, you know, he's got his brothers and they'll be fine. And David literally climbs up in my lap and grabs both sides of my face and says, listen to me. (laughs) Maybe the spouse needs to do that. Right? See, listening is all about removing the distractions and really going, you know what? I hear you. I see the pain with what you're saying. I see the body language. I hear the tone with what you're using. And James says, if we're going to deal with conflict, our first reaction is to listen. And I'm just going to tell you, if we will do that in our marriages, listen, here's what will happen. Our, our spouses will feel valuable. Our spouse will feel like we care about them. Why? Because we're not just blowing them off. We are really listening to them. He says, I want you to be quick to listen. If we're going to fight for our marriage, number one, we must be quick to listen. Second thing we have to do, he says, I want you to be slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Now, it's interesting. I want you to listen quickly. That's your first reaction. But what should not be your first reaction? Talking. Speaking. I want you to be slow to speak. It's the opposite of quick, and you can't do both. You can't, you can't speak slowly and speak quickly at the same time. It is impossible. He says, I want you to be slow to speak. Now, here's what he's saying. I want you to be extremely thoughtful of every word that's about to exit your mouth. I want you to guard what comes out of your mouth. Now, here's why I'm saying that. Listen, especially if you're single and have a desire to be married one day, here's something you need to know, that Words that you say can never be taken back. When they exit your mouth, you can't reel them back in. Now, I've heard married couples say this, well, I didn't mean it. You're lying. You did mean it. Jesus said out of the overflow of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. You just didn't mean to say it. Why? Because you didn't guard the words coming out. You didn't guard whether what you said was going to hurt the other person or was going to be harmful to the person. You just said, I mean, I talk to people all the time, go, well, I just don't have a filter. Well, that's ungodly. I'm just telling you. I just say what I'm thinking. Well, that's just not very smart. Because when you do that, you are hurting people. And he said, I want you to be slow to speak. I want you to guard what exits your mouth. Now, why would James say that? Because over in chapter 3, James is going to pick this up again. He's going to talk about the reason I want you to do that is because we have the words that are like venom. Our words can be like poison to people. The psalmist tells us that we can speak words of life and death into somebody's life. So we've got to realize that we've got to be slow to speak. He says, I want you to be slow to speak. In other words, what James is saying, there is a time to speak, right? There is a time for you to say something. But when you say it, it needs to be because you've put careful thought into what you're going to say. And when you get ready to say something, when you're in a moment of conflict, yes, you want to be quick to listen first. You want to think about carefully what you're going to say. But when that moment comes of time for you to speak, we need to remember and be reminded that Scripture has a lot to say about the way we speak to people. 
In fact, look at this. It's in uh, Psalms, uh, Psalms 19 says this. Let's throw that up there. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. See, when we finally do speak, our words should be pleasing to the Lord. Even in conflict, can, can you speak words that are pleasing to God even in the face of conflict? The answer is what? Yes, you can. Our words are to be pleasing to the Lord. Also, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, let your speech always be what? Come on, be what? Gracious. That when the moment comes and it's time for us to speak, our words that actually we've thought about that come out of our mouth, they be words that are pleasing to the Lord and words that are gracious. But Scripture also even talks about how we say what we say. Look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of the fool pour out folly. In other words, our words are to be spoken with kindness. When you say something, you speak it in kindness. One more Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in what? Love. I don't know about you, but a lot of my conflicts miss out on that one. How about you? See, here's the thing I want you to think about this morning. We're to be slow to speak. In other words, when conflict happens, be quick to listen, but put the brakes on speaking. Put the brakes on. But not only be careful there, guard every word that you say, but when you actually do speak, make sure your words are pleasing to the Lord. Make sure your words are gracious. Make sure you say them with a sense of kindness and you speak them in love. Quick question. Don't raise your hand. Don't answer. Don't nudge your spouse. Does this reflect your conflict you have in your home? Or are the words inflammatory, harsh, and destructive? What kind of words do you use in your house? And so the reality is that if we're going to fight for our marriage, yes, we've got to be quick to listen, but we've also got to be slow to speak. And then James tells us one more thing. He said, I want you to be slow to become angry. Now, this is an interesting phrase in the Greek language because slow means push the brakes on. But this word become means push the brakes even harder. So it's like, no, I don't want you to slow down. I want you to really slow down. So I want you to be slow to become angry. This idea of becoming means this, this, it's the idea of it's a process. It's not something that happens. You don't fly off the handle immediately. Like when some things happen sometimes, immediately do you feel angry and fly off the handle? Anybody like that? He said, listen, I want you to be quick to listen, slow to speak, but slow to become angry. I don't want you to fly off the handle. This word angry just literally means to swell up with opposition. That's what it means. To swell up with opposition. So when conflict happens and you don't like what's happened, here's what I want you to do. Put the brakes on, but put them on even harder. I want you to be slow to become angry. Does he say becoming angry is a bad thing? Is that what James is saying? No, it's not a bad at all. But he says, I want you to be slow to become angry. I want there to be a process. And if you're going to be slow to become angry, that means you're exhibiting self-control. That I'm guarding my words. I'm guarding my actions. I'm guarding my thoughts. I'm guarding my mind. I'm going to be slow to become angry. Now, here's why this is so important. Hear me on this, church. Here's why this is so important. If we are slow to become angry, if it's a process in us, if it's, if it's, a, if it's us exhibiting self-control, when we are slow to become angry, when we do finally speak and we do finally address things, it's not about rage. It's not about 
hurting them. It's not about destruction. You know what it's about? It's about addressing the real issues. It's about speaking words that can move us forward in the relationship. It's about restoring and renewing. See, what James tells us one verse later is that man's anger doesn't lead us to righteousness. In other words, if you're the person that flies off the handle, you get mad like in a drop of a hat, and you just explode, that doesn't lead to living the way God wants you to live. Nothing about that is reflected in how Jesus wants us to live. So I want you to be slow to become angry. Because there's going to come moments you are angry. But when you get angry and you've been slow to get there, once you get there, now you're driven by addressing the real issues and restoring and renewing the relationship, not trying to destroy it. Now, who's the perfect example of this? Jesus. There was a day when Jesus walked into the temple on a Tuesday, and they were like doing things they shouldn't be doing, and we know he was turning over the tables. But listen, was Jesus slow to become angry? Yeah. I mean, he went in there, and while what he did was, was like awesome, I would have loved to have been there that day. What he did was incredible. Why did he do what he did? To address the issue to restore them and to renew them back to what the temple was to be. He said, my house will be called what? A house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. And so he's just addressing the issue. Even the apostle Paul deals with this issue of anger. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 4 about anger. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger and give the opportunity to the devil. So Paul even talks about being angry. Is Paul saying it's wrong to be angry? No. But what he is saying is when you're angry, don't sin. And then I love this. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Can I just say something to all the married couples? It is wrong and it is bad and it is destructive if you go to bed angry with the other person and sleep through the night. Because all you're doing is letting it fester up. Listen, even if you have to have a conversation like Sonia, I do sometimes like, listen, I love you. We're going to be fine. But right now, I really don't want to talk to you. Right now, I really don't want to even be around you. But I love you. We're going to be okay. But I got to think about it. At least you can get to that point. But if you both go to bed angry, when you wake up, here's what you all find out. Did it get better in the eight hours of sleep you had? No. Did you, yeah. <laughs> Did you wake up going, oh, it's all better now? I mean, there's no problems, there's no issues. I mean, when you woke up, I don't know about you, but if I've ever done this, and I have, when I wake up, I'm madder than I was when I went to bed. Married couples, don't go to bed angry. Why? Because you're giving the devil a foothold into your marriage. You're giving him a position in your marriage where now he's going to do all he can to divide and to destroy you. So if you're going to fight for a marriage, if we're going to fight for our marriages, we must be slow to become angry. So I hope today as we wrap this up, this series up, that you recognize if you're going to fight for it, you've got to elevate your responsibilities, and you've got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I believe if we will do these three things, we will find ourselves not fighting in our marriage, pointing out everybody else's imperfections, but we'll find ourselves fighting for our marriage, saying, God, what's wrong with me? God, would you change me? God, would you do a work in my life? And so here's my prayer for us this morning. My prayer is that for all of us that are married today, that we would allow the conflict we have to be done biblically, and that by doing it that way, that our marriages might grow stronger. And I don't know, maybe some of you here today in your marriages, maybe when you leave here today and you go eat at 
you know, the chilies or cheddars or wherever you choose to go eat or whatever you choose to do. Maybe there needs to be a moment in your relationship as a husband and wife or maybe even in friendship. You need to take a friend out to lunch today and go, you know what? I was not quick to listen. I was an overtalker. I was an interrupter. And I said some things that I should not have said. I said some things that were very hurtful. And I want to ask you to forgive me and I repent of what I've done. Listen, marriage's strength grows on repentance. How many times have you said, I'm sorry in your marriage? A lot. Hopefully it was followed up with action, right? And so maybe you need to walk away today. Maybe there needs to be some repentance happens. Or listen to this. Some of you, when that comes and they apologize for what they've done, listen, you need to forgive them. Now, forgiveness does not diminish the hurt. It does not take away the pain of what's happened. But forgiving them means I choose to cancel your debt and to never be a time traveler again on this issue. I choose never to go back in the past and leverage it over you in the present ever again. You say, well, Doug, I don't know if I can do that. Wasn't well, that what Jesus did for you? Isn't that what it means when it says that he's forgiven us past, present, and future? Is there a day and a moment that Jesus goes, you know what? You know, Tyler, I, you know, I just, I've had enough of you. You know, I'm going to go back to how you were 10 years ago, and I'm going to hold that over you. Does he ever do that to you? No. Why? Because he loves us unconditionally, and he has forgiven us. And some of your marriages, man, there's hurt there, and there needs to be forgiveness. So I'm going to ask you today the very question I ask you the first day of this series, and then I'm going to pray. Are you going to fight for your marriage? Are you going to fight in your marriage? You have to make the decision. Let's all stand together as we pray. Let's all stand. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the simplicity of what James says. I thank you that he reminds us that when conflict or, or disagreement happens, our first response should be to listen to hear the other person. And that we should be slow to speak. God, too many people are like me in the room and we're quick to shoot off at the mouth. We're quick to say what we're thinking. God, that's irresponsible. May you help us guard our words. Guard what exits our mouth. Remind us that what comes out needs to be gracious, pleasing to you, filled with love and filled with kindness. But God, would you help us to be slow to become angry? That we wouldn't fly off the handle. But when we get to the point of angry, it wouldn't be because we want to, we, we hate the other person or we want to destroy our relationship. It would be because we want to address the real problem. We want to renew the relationship. We want to restore what's going on. God, I pray that when we get to the point of anger, if we do it correctly, our motives will be right. And then God, just today, I pray for marriages. I pray for those couples, maybe here today, that are angry with one another. But they make a commitment that they're not going to lay their head on the pillow tonight before they resolve what's going on. They're not going to go to bed angry and give the enemy a foothold in their marriage. God, I believe, and maybe I'm naive, but I believe if we do this your way and we handle conflict your way, our marriages can be strengthened from it. Our relationships can be strengthened from it. So God, I pray for these couples. I pray for those in any relationship where we've hurt the other person. May we seek their forgiveness. And if we've been hurt by somebody, may we choose today to forgive them. 
And God, ultimately and lastly, I pray that every person in this room, married or not married, but long to be married, that they would make this decision today where they're going to choose to fight in their marriage or for it. And I pray, Lord, they would choose the latter of the two. God, we love you. We need you. We are broken people. And we know that marriage is that commitment to a sinful person. But we too are sinful. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your guidance. And I pray that we now would follow the words of James when he says, don't just be hearers of the word, but let's be doers. Let's put this into practice. God, just be with us. Bless us. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's just go to the Lord. Let's just be reminded this morning, wherever we find ourselves, whatever we're wrestling with, that when things get tough, we have a place to go. We have a person that we pursue who loves us and cares for us and will nurture us and get us through whatever difficult times we're going through. And then as you leave this morning, we're going to have an incredible baptism. But as you leave and go to lunch, would you think about what we've talked about these last five weeks? Would you think about confessing whatever struggles you've got going on in your heart with your spouse and deal with the anger that may be there, but make sure that you're pursuing forgiveness? However the Lord is leading this morning, would you just be faithful to respond to him as we continue to worship?